0: This episode of Safe Space Radio is brought to you by the Learner Foundation and listeners like you.
1: This is WMPG. I'm Ann Hallward, a psychiatrist in Portland, Maine. And this is Safe Space Radio, a show about the subjects we would struggle with less if we could talk about them more. Today is the third in our series this fall, reflecting on the Maine Wabanaki State Child Welfare Truth and Reconciliation Commission, now that it has come to a close. Today, I have with me in the studio George, who is Passamaquoddy, raised in southern Maine, but is affiliated with the Pleasant Point Reservation in Perry, Maine. He is a 31-year-old recent college grad, hoping to move back to Portland, with a vision of becoming an advocate for native students from Maine who want to pursue a college education. And George has agreed to do this interview partly because he actually gave a statement as part of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and is going to tell us a little bit about that statement and about what the experience was like. Welcome to Safe Space Radio, George.
0: Thank you, Anne. Thank you very much.
1: So maybe we could start with um, your actual story. You grew up in southern Maine, but you're past Maquoddy. Tell me uh, how that came to be.
0: Yeah, I was actually uh, born in Bangor, Maine uh, and adopted right, right there, uh, maybe a day or two later and uh, was taken to Southern Maine and grew up in this area and didn't really know much about the reservation, the tribe, the culture, or anything like that. In fact, uh, I kind of question if I am Native American or not in that regard based on the fact that I'm not too familiar with the culture. Uh, So I was raised uh, around Portland, and um, I never really even had a thought to go to the reservation or anything like that until I was 18 or 19 years old.
1: And can I back a track a little bit first? Sure. When did you first find out that you were adopted?
0: Uh, good question. Uh, I was very young, three or four years old. Uh, I, was, I explained the, the situation a little bit, and, uh, and I always just treated my parents like they were my parents, and, and they really are my parents, uh, or my adopted parents are my parents. It was just a few years later that they mentioned to me that I was Passamaquoddy, uh Native American. Uh, I might not have, have realized what that all meant or what it entailed, uh, but but I knew. And um, I think initially when uh, when they mentioned it, they said American Indian, uh-huh. and so that was the I think the first time it was explained to me. Those were the words that were used.
1: And. Over the years, what was the sense you got from them about what it meant to be?
0: Didn't really mean much, to be honest with you, uh, from a cultural standpoint. And uh, it was just more of a label than anything else. Um, And to be honest with you, I didn't really think about it very much. I don't know if I ever even met a Native American, another one, until I was, uh, you know, 19, 18 years old. And do you
1: remember at that time what your own images were? Maybe you even had stereotypes of what it meant to be?
0: Yeah, I think uh, I just saw what was in the movies, you know, Dances with Wolves or The Last of the Mohicans or or something like that. Uh, but I had no idea what the reservations were like and uh, how economically desolate those areas really are yeah. in, in modern times.
1: In the back of your mind, did you have a curiosity, like, sometime I want to go find out, or was it just really not on your screen?
0: really wasn't on my screen. Uh, I didn't really, I I didn't even know where any of the reservations were for any of the four tribes in the state of Maine. I think growing up in southern Maine, you you don't realize uh, even what the reservations look like. You, I mean, I had no idea. I didn't even picture anything. I had nothing to really base it off of except for these historical pictures or, you know, movies that show teepees and and whatnot, which really uh, is not what it's like.
1: So what changed when you were 18 or 19 that led you to going to visit?
0: Uh, I think it was more of a, a a random kind of out of nowhere Um I was thinking about, about school and, and, and how to pay for it and whatnot, and uh, so my mother was talking with some people at the Pleasant Point Reservation and was explaining to them the situation in a little bit of detail, and because I think on any of the reservations it's a very tight-knit, small community, everybody kind of knows everything about everybody. Uh, so they had a general idea of who my biological father might be. So that was uh, that was kind of the beginning. And uh, she asked me if I wanted to meet him or go to the reservation or anything like that. And um, I said yes. I was more curious than anything else. I remember watching a show on TV about adoptions, and and it was kind of a reality show where everyone cries and gets together, it really wasn't like that at all. And I didn't feel that way at all. Um, I might have been a little bit scared, you know, getting off the plane in Portland. I was living in Florida at the time and kind of shaking hands formally and introducing myself to this person. Um, He
1: came to the airport to meet you.
0: Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I think... It was more of a, an emotional experience for him than for me.
1: How could you tell?
0: Uh, I think it was kind of this, from, from his body language and facial expression, it seemed more of like a uh, paternal feeling that I was getting from him. Uh, and for me, I was meeting a stranger. So that's really how I felt about it.
1: Do you remember what your hopes were then?
0: Uh, I didn't really have any hopes at that point. Um, are your fears maybe? Yeah, I would say more along the lines of, uh, maybe I wasn't, um, fully committed at that point. I kind of thought of it more as a a chore to do this than something I really was, uh, emotionally driven to do. I was a little overwhelmed.
1: yeah, so tell me about that.
0: Yeah, I was a little overwhelmed. It it, it seemed like a lot all at once. Uh, it seemed like I just, my mother kind of just informed me that she was having these conversations with people. She found out who he was. She talked to him. And would you like to talk with him?
1: Oh, so she yeah. called him first.
0: Yeah. Oh. And do you want to talk to him? And I said, yeah, sure. But I, I felt... A little bit of anxiety, definitely. Yeah.
1: Uh, so you, know, you didn't really get to choose the timing. It's not like this search was initiated by you. No. Based on, like, your own inner drive. <laughs> yeah. No, it wasn't. I see, I see, okay. Yeah. Okay, so there you are. You're in the airport. You can see that it's quite powerful for him. hmm And what happened? What happened that day? Tell me how it unfolded.
0: Uh, I met, met him and also my half-brother that was with him at the airport Oh wow! and he's a few years younger than me and uh for me again it just it was like meeting a couple of strangers for the first time um but we started spending time together from that moment on for the whole trip uh, it was kind of we were uh, attached at that point and i kind of went on this journey Uh, So once we got off the highway in Bangor and took back roads the rest of the way there, uh, this was all very new to me. And to even go down east in down east Maine, this was a a first experience. Uh, When I got on the reservation, I was told that it was kind of in an economically desolate area, but I didn't really know what that meant. And it very much looks like government housing on the reservation. Uh, Everything's kind of made out of brick. All the homes look the same, and they were all built a long time ago, and they're all kind of in uniform. And there wasn't much going on. There might have been a gas station or two gas stations, but there weren't really any restaurants or downtown areas or anything like that. Uh, So that was a little bit of a surprise for me. Uh, it's right on the water, and it's some of the most beautiful land uh, in the state. Definitely, it's it's gorgeous out there. Um, however, uh, from an economic standpoint, it's it's uh, behind the times.
1: What, did you find like part of you kind of walking around thinking, "Wow, under other circumstances, this might have been home"?
0: Yeah, yeah, I did think about that. Um, I. I, I my life would have been completely different. I thought about some of the um some of the recreational activities that I enjoyed, like sports and tennis and golf and whatnot, and how I probably wouldn't have uh learned to do any of those things or ski uh and I just think about the routines and and some of the knowledge I had and how that would have been much different.
1: I know that one of the guiding philosophies behind out-adoption, as it's called, of Native kids to um, white families, is this this idea that there are opportunities that you might not get otherwise. And and there's enormous controversy over that and whether that's justified or not. Um, How do you feel about that now?
0: Well, like I said at the beginning, I question on a philosophical level uh, whether I really am native or not. Um, I couldn't tell you anything about the culture, really. Like I don't know any of the language or anything like that, um, and so I, I can understand that that it would be—it's already uh, a culture that's dwindling, unfortunately, uh, especially the language. The language that they speak, um, and again, even there, I say they speak, not we speak. Uh, the language that they speak is uh, is, is kind of uh, being lost over the over the years as time goes on. Uh, so the the heritage, I think, for me, isn't there.
1: Do you have a sense of loss about
0: it? Uh, no, not not really. Um, again, I've. Uh, I think because I was so far unattached from the culture and from uh, the reservation and and from anything like that, uh, that it wasn't even a thought in my mind ever.
1: I can imagine if I I try to put myself in your dad's shoes, you know, being really proud of you and wanting you to meet everyone and this is my boy. what did you feel from him did you sense that he wanted you to meet people or did you sense that he like really wanted to teach you something about your heritage how how was that
0: yeah we he he kind of brought me on a tour to to meet extended family members uh so i would meet some uh i met a lady who would have been my aunt and then i i we drove to another another house and and i met somebody that would have been my uncle and some of my would be nieces and nephews uh and so it was in that sense it was a little overwhelming uh but again it was more i think he was more interested in and in, in showing me who who his family was as opposed to what the culture was like
1: and of course i'm imagining the question on your mind is who is my biological mother did you ask him
0: uh yeah, he he told me a little bit about her. Um but Yeah, that really wasn't much of a focus at that point.
1: Hmm. What do you understand about why she made the decision to give you up for adoption?
0: I I think she wanted to give me a chance. And the only way that, at that point, that she was able to give me a chance was to give me away.
1: So in a way, out of love for you, she wanted you to have as much opportunity as possible. Is that
0: that what you mean? Yeah. Uh Yeah. I think so.
1: So as you know, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission has been very focused on the forcible removal of Native kids from their families. Um, and less so on the voluntary surrender of a child, you know, out of hopes for giving a child a chance, as you say. And yet I wonder, it doesn't sound in some ways like it was that elective. It's The sense I get from you is your mom didn't see any other way.
0: That's correct. And this was a decision she made on her own. Um, Uh, I don't think my biological father had any idea that this was going on. I see. Yeah.
1: And... What do you imagine about how she feels about it now? Do you wonder?
0: Uh, I think, I think she's torn. I think there's a part of her that feels like uh, feels bad about the decision she made. Uh, and then I think there's a part of her that realizes that uh, it it was a fantastic decision, and that uh, I've I'm very, very fortunate, and I have a lot of—I've been able to, to uh, experience a lot in my life that other, I otherwise would not have been able to experience. As you know, uh, one of the findings—have
1: you had a chance to read the report of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission?
0: The the my personal report? No,
1: the actual report of the whole findings for the whole two year effort.
0: Oh, I read some of the articles in the Portland Press Herald, but I haven't I I haven't had a chance to um to to read like the full report. Ah,
1: okay. So one of the findings um, at the end was that um, the the forced removal of children. So this doesn't apply to you. Um, was really part of a larger practice of genocide of you know forcible removal of children, taking them to another culture as part of a, a slow but very determined extermination of a people. It, mm-hmm. it was, there was very stark language. And you know, you're know you in this kind of strange position where you learn about it kind of as an adult. You know, in some ways, you don't even know whether to claim this heritage because you didn't grow up with this heritage. Do you feel a sense of almost obligation to claim that heritage for the sake of a people who is threatened or like how does how does that sit in you?
0: I think since that time when I was 18 or 19 years old and was first put on the census I think it grew and I feel very fortunate because the tribe has been able to help me out quite a bit through my educational endeavors and I think through that connection it's given me this drive to want to give back now and I really do want to help them progress i think i look through a different lens than they do and i think that's that might be a problem because i'm not so much for sustaining uh cultural practices that because i don't know anything about them i think it's more on from a business standpoint or economic growth of the tribe that i really want to help them that uh Maybe by creating a business or helping them with some foundations or or with with raising more money for more education in the future, uh, that more natives can go to school. Uh, they say seventy percent of statistics are made up on the spot, so I'm not <laughs> sure. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly. Uh, uh, only from what I've read, I think one percent of natives, na- young natives, go to college.
1: Really, in uh, Maine or nationally?
0: Nationally. Uh, so, I'm not sure exactly how spot on that statistic is, even if it's three or four uh, percent. It's not very much. And I think through my own experiences, I've, I've really grown to want to wanna, wanna help uh, change that.
1: And so, if your vision is to help more Native high schoolers go to college, how do you imagine doing that? What's your vision for how
0: to make that happen? Uh, well, I'm working with uh, a foundation right now that uh, I was fortunate to get some help from. Uh, so I'm and what w- is that foundation? Uh, that's the Frederica Gilroy Memorial Trust for Native American Students. It's actually a really brilliant foundation because uh, you can go to school through native tuition waivers, any state school in the state of Maine. So tuition's paid for, but that's not everything. Unfortunately, some of these students that have cars and need to get to campus uh, will have a carburetor go, and so the Gilroy Trust will help provide for that. Or if you're in the law school and you need a suit, uh, if you're going to be doing anything in in the courtrooms or whatnot, uh, they'll help provide the suit. Or if you're an art student, to be able Mm -hmm. to pay for brushes or whatnot, that can get very expensive. And I want to start doing some work with the foundation. Uh, and that's one of the ways that I want to give back. Uh, and also this fall, I hope to be going up to Indian Island to the Penobscot Reservation. Uh, and I've been invited to, to go up there to talk to some native high school students about the transition to college and about my story and uh, how this all kind of came to be for me.
1: So when you go to the Penobscot Nation, and you talk to these high schoolers about the transition, what do you want to give them that you think will help?
0: That I know what rock bottom feels like, and I had the ability to pull out of that and to make some changes in my life and really change direction and focus more on my future.
1: And when you say that I know what rock bottom feels like, how, tell me about that, what happened?
0: Yeah, I think uh, I really enjoyed partying and recreational activities. And it was something that was a part of my life for my early, through my early 20s. Um, I r- failed out of school when I was 18, out of college initially. And I was too preoccupied in order to really focus on myself. And I really didn't have much direction either.
1: So it sounds like that transition to the beginning of college for you, even though you had grown up off the reservation and in Southern Maine, was actually a really tricky transition too.
0: Very tricky transition, yes. And
1: do you have a sense of what what made it tricky for you?
0: Uh, I think from a social standpoint, I really wanted to expand and see what else was out there. And I wanted to feel like I was part of a group and uh, I think that uh, I met some people that uh, enjoyed the party scene, and I, they made me feel like family and welcome. And so that's how I kind of got started with all of that.
1: I can't help but notice, um, you know, the, it feels very poignant what you're saying, and I appreciate your honesty about it. And the, the language you're using is so much the language of wanting to belong. You know, they treated me like family. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be part of a group. And that's, that's what we're talking about. You know, yeah. it's like, do I belong to this group of Native Americans or don't I? Am I family or am I not family? Certainly. Like, and do um, you feel like in some ways it was also born of that, that uncertainty inside yourself?
0: I think so. I think it comes more from a psychosocial perspective, like, uh, in-group favoritism. And, and, and from that, from that standpoint, maybe that's just because I've studied it a little bit. It sounds like you've studied it. You know, that, that, uh, I kind of, I, I tend to analyze, uh, my experiences in that way. But, uh, I, I think to be honest, it had to, had more to do with that. Uh, and, and, uh, and not so much, not so much with am I Native or am I not? I, again, I don't really feel Native American. Uh, again, I, I look at it more as like a label at this point. Um, although I get asked all the time where I'm from. Uh, oh, you do? Yeah, people think I'm Hawaiian. I get that a lot. Alaskan, um, and uh, some Asian cultures or or whatnot or South American. So people are really curious and and uh, the question that always gets I get asked is, where are you from? And I know what that means. So I mentioned that I'm a Native American.
1: And what was it when you first heard about the Truth and Reconciliation Commission? What was it that made you want to get it, give a statement?
0: That my experience might be, a lot different than what they might might have uh, documented so far.
1: In what way did you think?
0: Um, because I did do a little bit of research uh, that this was uh, a, pr- a practice um, to forcefully take children uh, and my story is a lot different than that. And I might be on the other end of the spectrum.
1: Uh, it would be so different if you knew you'd been forcibly taken it would I would I imagine that would be so different.
0: yeah, I think it would be so
1: once you volunteered yourself to give a statement, what actually happens like how do you actually give a statement? uh
0: I was actually really curious about that myself until I was there in the room, sitting down about to give the statement. And uh, they hit record, and I kind of just started running with it. And I started from the very beginning when I was very young, and uh, I think through it, they asked me a couple of questions uh, just to keep it going in a certain direction. Um, But I gave about an hour-long statement.
1: So as you were giving your statement, what impact do you think that it had, and, and how much were you sort of thinking about that as you were talking?
0: Well, from an emotional standpoint, I, I did, I made it very clear that my parents, my, I think, I feel are my real parents that raised me, uh, I made it very clear that I love them very much, as if they were my biological parents, and that will never change. And I think because people were torn away from families, that might not be the, uh, the, the view that everybody else had giving statements.
1: Right. I think the focus so much of the TRC hit was on the, the loss to the child, to the parents, and to the community. So this perspective, I think, in some ways was the perspective of the social workers who thought they were giving these kids a better chance. Um, but it was understood in a context of institutional racism that kind of pervaded the entire adoption system around Native kids in the Department of Health and Human Services. And that this very subtle, often unspoken assumption was that kind of native culture was problematic and you know, sort of primitive and didn't help people get ahead in life and that these kids would do better elsewhere. And it's pervasive, this kind of racism in our whole culture. And when I hear your mom saying, like, she didn't know any other way to give you a chance, one way to think of what she was feeling about that was sort of economic opportunity. But another way to think of it might be that she bought into that. You know, she had some kind of internalized racism. And
0: how do you think about that? I think I I never really, I never, personally, I never really experienced much racism uh, at all. And i I think I think that you're right. I think maybe she internalized it a little bit and 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 chose to to uh, give me up to give me a chance in Western society. And to do it at such a young age would mean that I wouldn't need to assimilate into a different culture that it would just be my own and I could make it my own. And so I can understand uh, where she might be coming from with that, but uh, it's not something I really have thought about very much. And uh, I I think uh, you know hopefully in the future one of my goals is to to help help the tribe. Uh, from an economic level, like I mentioned. And who knows, this decision that was made might uh, be a very, very good decision, uh, you know, for everybody involved, uh, eventually. And uh, this is something that that's a goal of mine.
1: George, thank you so much for being my guest. I hope you get to realize that vision.
0: Thank you very much. I
1: hope through you in Maine that percentage climbs significantly.
0: Thank you. Me too.
1: And I want to just mention again that foundation is the Frederica Gilroy Memorial Trust for Native American students.
0: Yeah. If you'd like to learn more about the Frederica Gilroy Memorial Trust, you can get in touch with Glenn Namy in Portland, Maine. And his phone number is 207-699-9713.
1: George, thank you so much. Thanks. If you like this show and want to stay connected to these issues, you can like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Safe Space Radio. And you can find us on the web at safespaceradio.com, where you can listen to all of our past shows, including our earlier shows about the TRC, about Wabanaki history, and the work of breaking silence in order to heal. While you're there, please subscribe to our email list to find out about each week's new show as soon as it's released. My thanks to Gabe Graben for producing the show, and to Jim Russell for being our editorial advisor. Coming up next is Speak Freely.